we value too much our thesis and how much we like the idea for the product rather than the people that can execute in that product. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for a free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Zach Resnick. Zach, are you ready to join the mission? I'm ready, Andrew. Thanks for having me today. Yes, I'm excited to get you on. And uh, I was thinking that we can talk about travel. That's an interesting one. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. In 2013, Zach began to make a living from playing cash games and investing in other poker players, providing a unique understanding of risk management that is largely shaped through leveraging volatility to outperform others in the high-risk, high-reward situations of poker. In 2016, he made his first personal investment in Bitcoin and by 2017 was focused on investing and trading crypto full-time. In 2018, he founded Unbounded Capital, an early-stage venture capital firm focused on payment infrastructure. He is also the founder of Fly Flat, a luxury concierge service that specializes in last minute, heavily discounted business and first class air travel. Wow. Zach, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew, and for the generous introduction. I feel like the greatest gift that I have to offer people that I meet and the world more broadly is helping people kind of actualize their best lives and to become their best selves. In my work today, I primarily help people do that through helping them build their company in the best way that they can and supporting them along that journey and helping people travel in kind of the best way that they can. But, you know, in my personal life, I just really love, you know, supporting my my friends and my family. And I feel like I'm able to help people look through and break through, you know, whether it's emotional or logical kind of blocks that are stopping them from, you know, living their best life in whatever way that is. And I, I really enjoy doing it. And I'm lucky to already have had a lot of practice doing that. And I hope to both personally and professionally continue doing that for the rest of my life. That's interesting. I mean, I wonder if we think about the average listener, myself, and we all have personal blocks. You know, it's just like you just can't avoid it. And I'll tell this story, which I, I've mentioned before on the podcast, but it's that I generally don't eat shellfish. And you say, well, wait a minute, Andrew, what does that have to do with a personal block? Well, I don't know why it was, but I just never really ate shellfish. I mean, I would eat shrimp and I would eat fish or whatever. But then my mom lives with me now in Bangkok, and she's been with me for almost seven years now since my father passed away. And we were just reminiscing about the time that my father and my sisters caught hepatitis when we were on a trip to Stone Harbor in New Jersey. And we got back home and my dad and my sisters were, you know, quarantined in their room. That was the old day when you quarantine sick people. So they were quarantined in their rooms and like literally near death with hepatitis C or whatever that was at the time, which was terrifying. And the doctor told us that they probably got it from eating shellfish. 
And I thought, oh, so that's the reason why I never was interested in eating shellfish. And I kind of forgot about that block right there. And so it's just an example of like a, an unconscious block. And so I'm just curious, like when you talk about like blocks and things like that, what are you talking about? And what do you see in either in yourself or in the people that you work with and talk to? I mean, they they really could be could be anything. So with poker, I took a pretty like rigorous approach to like, okay, any type of like blocks that I have are like directly impacting my ability to both enjoy my life playing poker, as well as to make money from playing the game. And there's a really wonderful book called The Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler. And in it, it kind of talks about the main what they call poker leaks. So these are like kind of deficiencies or things that could be improved in the way that you think that are stopping you from making more money playing poker. And, you know, for me personally, the biggest thing has always been some degree of what Jared calls entitlement tilt, which, you know, to translate for a broader audience is basically if you feel like you're a better poker player than someone else, but yet that person keeps winning or getting lucky against you, it could potentially make you feel like, oh, that's not fair. I've worked harder. I'm smarter. But this person is having more success than myself. It's not necessarily jealousy, but it's just something that stops you from really thinking about the things that really make you win and succeed. And I've seen that kind of happen for me. And it's been a big area of growth I'm still working on when it comes to like raising capital for my investment firm. So, you know, the meetings that people that are have invested with me have all gone very well. And the vast majority of my investors, I kind of very much view as, you know, equals and peers and people that I deeply respect and they deeply respect me. But still to this day, if there's people that I feel like are maybe not the smartest, most diligent investors, regardless of how old they are, and you know they have kind of a degree of, you're lucky to have a meeting with me, it's really hard for me to kind of share my story and what we do in the best way possible. So that's always something for me that's kind of a blocker of like, okay, doesn't matter if you think you're smarter or better or whatever than anyone else. Like The more you think about that, that just doesn't serve you at all. So mm. I'm lucky to have a lot of people in my life, whether they've been, you know, coaches or investors, advisors, peers of mine and my team to help me kind of find that. And then, but they can be it for anyone else. You know, I have a sibling who, unlike myself, has a lot of trouble advocating for himself, yep. especially in the professional world. And I think I can sometimes help him see, well, listen, like, actually, I know you're thinking this, but that isn't really fair. And you're kind mm. of justifying some unfair treatment that you're getting and helping him see that and then kind of realize, oh, why am I doing that? Okay, how could I better advocate for myself? Or, you know, I'll talk with a, a founder that's like looking at a building some type of product, but maybe they haven't done the due diligence of really talking to their potential customers. And it's always easier to give advice than to, you know, execute on it for sure. I can, you know, attest to that. But basically, if you have someone that kind of knows what you're doing, what you're working on, and then you talk to them about it, that person then can help you see Okay, here are the areas where maybe you can spend a little more time thinking, spend a little more time doing, and you might have more success in however that's defined for you. So those are kind of a couple examples, but mm. I aspire to be able to help people in a variety of different contexts, not just kind of, you know, money startup related. That's a great resource. I'm just looking at the book, The Mental Game of Poker, Proven Strategies to Improving Tilt, Control, Confidence, Motivation, Coping with Variance, and more, Jared Tendler. Yeah. And it's 4.6 out of 5 with 800 ratings. So really, really good book. 
I'm going to include a link in the show notes to the audio book, which I think it seems like that's a good book to listen to on Audible. Yeah. And there's a second book there. There's also, he also has a mental game of golf. He has a lot of clients that have been in finance. So Jared's definitely great and has transformed my life. And I'm sure there's a lot of other books in that vein that maybe we'll talk about a little bit later on the podcast today. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting. And just take us through the the journey from you've got unbounded capital and you've got fly flat. How did that come about? Which one was first? And then how do they relate to each other? Yeah. So in the basically during college and for about maybe a, a little under a year or so after college, I was primarily focused in my life on like mastering skills. I wasn't so much concerned with building a big business or making lots of money, but it was primarily for me then it was, you know, how can I become one of the best jazz arrangers and composers and trumpet players? That's what I focused on in my undergrad. And then how can I be, you know, an incredible poker player and poker and mental game coach? And I worked really hard and set up my life such that the majority of my time I was like by myself, like working on those skills for that. And then a major thing happened in my personal life in the end of 2017. And that kind of really changed the way that I thought about time and what I wanted to do. And I went from instead of trying to, you know, master skills, I wanted to like build, you know, organizations and things that could impact more people's lives directly where I can really work with more people and feel my, you know, impact on a personal level. And that led me to starting FlyFlat, which, you know, at the time was professionalizing a lot of like the travel hacks and hustles that allowed me to travel around the world and international business and first class, staying at luxury hotels largely for free in my early and mid twenties. And to help kind of scale that knowledge via the product we have today that averages about 35% off the retail prices of international business and first class tickets, specializing in last minute and you know more flexible travel. So I started that in the fall of 2017 and basically it started as kind of a side hustle and then just kept growing and growing and growing and you know now today we did you know millions of dollars of revenue last year and we serve today some of the top you know founders in tech crypto and finance largely folks that only really travel in those lie flat seats that's kind of the name fly flat and you know the organization now we have about 20 people on our staff and you know serve hundreds of clients and that is a business that gives me a lot of joy because I get to kind of share my little hacks and my secrets to help people, you know, not just save money, but, you know, travel in a superior way for less. And, you know, as you can probably attest to living in Thailand, maybe spending some time in the States, the difference between a business or first class ticket and an economy ticket in terms of being able to take advantage of your time somewhere is really a big deal. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that's kind of how that business started where just taking a lot of these like miles and points travel hustles I did for myself. And there's, you know, in between that, they're at a couple kind of consulting businesses around miles and points stuff, but then fly flat really productized it and got it to scale. And while I was doing fly, oh, sorry. Yeah. I just, what's the website? Fly-flat.com. Got it. And I'm here right now looking at it. Pretty cool. What's the revenue model? I mean, how does somebody... Let's assume, I mean, I'm just going to assume you're going to deliver on what you're saying, which is, you know, fantastic. And it's critical when you're doing, whenever I'm traveling internationally, I mean, without traveling in business class. I mean, I remember when I I first came to Thailand was 1989. And, you know, of course I was crunched up in a little seat because I was just a student and all that. But what's the revenue model on this business? How does it work for for the listener? They say, oh, I may need that. They're going to come here. How's it going to work? 
Yeah, well, actually, let's, by the time you publish this, I'll give you a custom link so we can yep. have flyflat.com slash yep. whatever you'd like. Worst. Uh, worst. Flyflat.com slash worst. You got it. No one else has that right now. There's very so, little competition to be the worst. That's what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. So because people are coming through you, they will get $250 off their first flight that they book with us. But mm. basically, you come to us and you're like, hey, I am here. I want to get to there. And then, you know, someone on my concierge team will get back to you, you know, within minutes and will ideally have like a, a great quote for you within an hour. Sometimes it takes a few hours if there's not an obvious solution, but always within a day, we'll have all your best options for you in kind of a personalized way. We typically interact with our clients via chat groups, whether it's WhatsApp, Signal or Telegram, mm. but we can also, you know, do email or phone or whatever our clients prefer. But basically, to the clients, we're just a concierge service that offers our services for free. Most concierge services, you have to pay some type of membership fee for, but we have a very narrow focus. So rather than trying to boil the ocean and help with all travel, all things, we're like long-haul international business and first class. And then the more you travel via one ways, flexibly and last minute, the more value that we can add. So on the back end, we're arbitraging credit card miles and points and taking advantage of something called hidden city ticketing in a way. And both of these things, if you Google them, you'll see, oh, there's like risk. If I do hidden city too much, they'll take away my mileage account. Or how do I know the miles are safe from arbitrage? But we have in the My Worst Investment podcast theme, we have very good risk management built over mm -hmm. you know about a decade of my experience and over a decade of my partner's experience in taking advantage of these travel hacks. So in the over five years we've been in business, not a single one of our clients has ever had any issues at the airport or with their ticket because we don't take advantage of every opportunity to save money, only the ones when there's kind of no risk to the client. But to be clear, to the client, all that stuff is on the back end. Mm. You're just kind of interfacing in a chat group. And then if you like the option, we charge your credit card and then you go on the flight. So yeah, it's pretty easy. And yeah, for any listeners of this podcast, you can get $250 off your first flight by going to fly-flat.com slash worst. So Andrew, we can talk maybe after the podcast yeah. and maybe a little yeah, more about, about how it works and hopefully save you a couple grand on your next trip back to uh, the States. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, one of the things is that I've seen blogs and stuff of guys that like, I hacked my way around the world, you know, and I went to all of this stuff and I'm like, oh man, I do not have time to deal with that. You know, exactly. I do not have time. Yeah. And so where I see the advantage of this is like, okay, I'm going to pay you because <laughs> you, you're going to get a share. I guess you're, you're capturing a portion of the the fee or the the amount that I'm paying and your portion that you're capturing is because you've done all of that behind the scenes to get me exactly what I need in the exactly time but, you, but your price is still going to be Same. cheaper than retail 100% of the time okay. so the more flexible you are the higher percentage chance we have of a great deal but on any business class flight we'll be able to do at least like 3 or 4% off whatever and, you can do yourself and so do you, what happens is do you like sign in or you What's the way to engage when someone comes on the site? I see there's lots of deals right here, like, you know, first class flight to Las Vegas. Yeah, on, on the page, they'll just be like, a, hey, chat with a, you know, chat with a concierge and yep. it'll, it'll be pretty, pretty straightforward. But yeah, basically, we'll, we'll get that link. Go into a, to a group with your, we have concierges that work around the world 24 7, 365 days a year, any hour of the day in any country. You just ping us and someone will respond to you very shortly. Exciting. Well, 
that's I think that's something that's useful for everybody because I know a lot of my listeners are traveling and it can be it can be a bear. But now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah. So going to give a little backstory on, on Unbounded Capital, kind of share how we're making this investment and some of the context. So Unbounded Capital is a venture capital firm that is focused on micropayments and payment infrastructure, primarily those that are leveraging scalable blockchains to be able to do that. So when I first got started in crypto and blockchain, you know, I wasn't particularly excited about this world of scalable blockchains and payments. I was much more excited about kind of regulatory arbitrage and Bitcoin and Ethereum and tokens. And then over time, I think realized that the real money to be made in investing in blockchain technology wasn't investing in tokens or investing in companies that make money off tokens, but investing in companies that leverage kind of the most efficient and powerful blockchains to solve some of the biggest problems in the world. And what we see as one of the kind of low-hanging fruit for what blockchains can do today is the world of payments. So if you look at credit cards, the minimum viable transaction with a credit card is maybe a dollar, dollar fifty, two dollars, because they're taking you know 15, 20, 25, 30 cents plus a few percentage points off the top. So if you charge one fifty cents, basically all your money is going to the credit card processor and the banks and everything. So the most scalable blockchain in the world today has a median transaction fee of under one fifty thousandth of a penny. So you can now charge someone a cent, a tenth of a cent, and still have a really high gross margin. Mm. So that kind of innovation is at the heart of most of our portfolio companies today. And a lot of these companies are leveraging it, not just for payments, but kind of these little payments are an important part of the stack. And that kind of gets me to this company that we made an investment in a number of years ago. And basically, we invested in these two founders that loved our content. You know, So Unbounded Capital kind of built a media company. We've written books, podcasts, webinars, you know, research reports, and that ends up attracting the types of founders and builders that share our vision of the world, even if it's maybe not the most popular view in the crypto and blockchain space, such that within our niche, we're kind of very well known and often the preferred investment partner of the founders that we're working with, even if we're not so well known outside of this you know, scalable blockchain world. So these founders we've known socially, They've been tracking us, reading our stuff for a while, and they're like, hey, we're building this thing. And the thing, without giving too much away, the thing that they were building was like an A-plus in terms of something we think is 100% going to happen that is a huge you know, 100x improvement to existing solutions right now. The problem was these founders were not A-plus founders. So in retrospect, the timing was definitely off, although we weren't confident that the timing would necessarily be there then but maybe soon, but we were like A plus on product and what they were building. But we maybe justified to ourselves that these were maybe like B, B minus founders, where really they were lower than that. And the biggest learning, so this investment, they could still be kicking around or one of them could still be kicking around on this product today. We haven't really been in touch for some time. Mm. And this was the first investment we fully wrote down. Wrote down, meaning down to zero. Yeah, or you know, not not zero, but down no. significantly because it's still right. it's still going. It hasn't it's formally closed the legal entity yet. But yes, this is the first company we wrote down by more than you know eighty percent since I started my investment firm. Which maybe that's something to be proud of. Most early stage investment firms are writing things down within a year or something. This maybe took about two two years to fully write down. But to me, 
you know, if you're running an early stage venture capital firm, you expect most of your companies to fail. So it's not like this wasn't a particularly large check for us. It was a relatively small check. It didn't have a huge impact on the portfolio. But to me, it was just the most glaring mistake of we valued too much our thesis and how much we like the idea for the product rather than the people that can execute in that product. Mm. And I'd say that the reason I want to talk about that today is because for any people, whether they're angel investors, venture capitalists, aspiring founders or venture capitalists, oftentimes, you know, if you listen to other like kind of VC startup podcasts, people talk about what's your algorithm? What's important when you make an investment? Is it the market size? Is it the market? Is it the people? Is it the timing? And everyone has different answers. And I, you know, maybe this is not the place to get into exactly what our kind of algorithm is qualitatively and quantitatively. But most importantly, when I started this firm, the part of my algorithm that was like, how important are the quality of the founders was way too low. And the thing that got in higher conviction in over time since starting my investment firm is that if you're investing in early stage companies, the qualities of the people that started that company and that are running the company are paramount and almost inarguably the most important thing for that company. Yes, there are classic examples of maybe not super A plus founders that just nail the timing and the market and the product and saw success. But I think if you want to not get lucky, but repeatedly back incredible companies at the early stage, you need to back people that just completely wow you and blow you away, no exceptions for anything. And since we've started doing that at our firm, everything's been a lot easier, a lot less stressful. We're not dealing with people who are like, we're your investors. And like, we could have done this. Like, this is your company. How did you not do this in a week or a month or a year? So, you know, in terms of like, it being, it was definitely not the worst investment in terms of negatively affecting my life or my mm. investors or my business, but in terms of like just the most glaring mistake and quality of mistake. And we, and to be clear, we made some version of that mistake in a bunch of other companies that like right now we would have not invested in because even though their technology is, was incredible, we think they're going after an incredible product. Founders just were not gritty enough, not moving fast enough didn't have all those kind of essential elements that are required to building a great business, not necessarily just a fun product. So that I'd say is the the biggest lesson I could impart on people investing in technology companies. People are super important and you will probably meet people that have been successful technology investors that know basically nothing about technology, but are incredibly good at reading people and only invest on the people. Probably about half of the investors I look up to most, even though I'm not like a solely, my algorithm isn't 100% people. I know people that do do that and have made tons of money in their life doing that. So people are super important, especially the earlier stage of the business that you invest in. So I've done a lot of investing over my life in startups and in people, in stocks and business and all that. And I've had some successes. I've had some failures. My worst investment ever, ever was investing in a startup with a friend of mine and who's still a friend of mine. And I developed a model that, in fact, I've got a startup founder coming to see me for a second time today, later in the afternoon here in Bangkok for a cup of coffee. But his, you know, we went through a bunch of stuff in the last meeting and then we're meeting again today. But the point is, is that I came up with a model. I want you to think about this and help me. It is something that I can refine on this and maybe our discussion can help the listeners out there. What I say, the first thing that I'm looking for is trust. If there's anything that throws off the trust, like I just don't, something doesn't feel right or I don't, 
So in my case, the guy that I was doing this with, I definitely trusted him. And I think I, I correctly trusted him. So if we get past the trust, the next thing is the idea. If I trust the guy, but the idea is crap, well, there's no point. But if the idea is kind of a wow, okay, that's interesting, then I move to the next. So I've got trust, I've got the idea, the next thing is the market. Is this a tiny product or is this is the market potential huge? If the market potential is huge, then okay, now it gets really interesting. If the market potential is very small, which many startups are, you know, they just come with a, a very boutique solution or something, then I stop it there. But if I got trust, I've got the idea, I've got the market. The next question, and this is what I learned from my worst investment ever, was execution. I didn't yeah. realize that the guy wasn't really going to be able to execute on it. He just didn't have the management skills. He had the idea. Yeah. He had so much. And that was where it fell apart. And then, so if you get trust, you get the idea, you get the market, you get the execution. The last part for me is capital because if you do well, you're going to need capital and you don't want to be the only provider of capital. You want to make sure that the company's got different providers of capital and enough capital to really scale. Is there something I'm missing in that from your experience? It's hard for me to say what is for sure missing mm -hmm. because you know I don't know what the startups you're looking at and the types yeah. of opportunities. But what I can tell you is that my model used to look more like that. Mm -hmm. And now the execution of the person is decidedly higher than idea and market. And something I would also for us, again, this is just a stylistic thing. You know, when you invest in companies, fundamentally, you're buying something at X price and you make money when you sell it at a higher price. Many angel investors and venture capitalists are like, just invest in the, the best people and don't worry about price. Pay whatever you need to to be into the best deals. I don't think there's really any evidence that that works over the long term. There's lots of survivorship bias of the big investment firms talking about how they did that and how some deals where you invest at an insane valuation and then the IPO at an even more insane valuation works out. But I think if you look at all the investment firms that invest in insane valuations and those companies fail, you know, it's if you invest in one company at a hundred million dollar valuation, you need to own 15% of it and it's a crazy valuation. Well, now you, you could have invested maybe in three companies at a reasonable $33 million valuation. And it had three shots with the same amount of capital to be able to have a chance of getting a good return on investment. So, so that, that makes sure. me think about adding two things to the, so trust idea, market execution, capital, and then price or valuation. Yeah. And I would then, honestly say though, like ideas at the bottom of the barrel. So this is another learning that, that we've had is I think it's much more about like founder market fit than it is about product market fit. So really what you want is someone that is like one of the best people in the world to solve some problem, because if they're one of the best to solve the problem, it doesn't matter how the hell they'll solve it, they'll figure it out. So when I started FlyFlat, what we were doing then and how we were doing it has like radically changed to where it is now. But fundamentally, like I've been getting the best travel discounts and deals for myself, and I'm passionate mm -hmm. about getting others to do it. So we, you know, we figured it out, you know, you look at, again, Fly flat's not like a huge mega unicorn, mm -hmm. probably never will be. But you know, I love solving that problem, we'll always want to solve it. So I think the actual solution honestly doesn't really matter that much. And frankly, unless you're an expert in that industry, like even if you're a smart guy, like what does your intuition on an idea at the beginning stage really matter? So I, yeah. I would I would adjust your model for broadly speaking startups without necessarily knowing if you're doing like some type of niche that you have an expertise in. And I would say trust should be number one, but not necessarily just for making money, but just 
that's just a personal value of mine. I don't want to work with people I don't trust and I don't like. So, you know, trust and not an asshole is kind of number one, then quality of person execution, and then kind of the, the size of the market and the, the timeliness of the, of the product and then price. And mm. then to me, like other capital providers and idea are like, well, well below right. that. Right. So that's how, that's how we do investments at unbounded, but it's also, I think about knowing your investing style. So there's all sorts of people that have made hand over fist investing in startups with crazy different iterations of that because they have different styles, they have different skill sets. So it's as much just like a knowing yourself and what your skill set really is, as it is like there's one model that definitely works. So just, I guess, for the audience out there, you know, I think it's a great kind of, you made me think a lot about my model and the idea of the founder market fit the best person in the world to solve this problem. The reason why that's such a valuable thing is because, yeah, you're just going to run into so many problems. And the original idea of what you had may not even be where you're at. It almost never is. You look at almost all the most successful companies and you look at what they were starting originally, and it very rarely resembles that. Yeah, that's great. So let's go back in time and say, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what would be one action you would recommend our listeners take if they were in the same situation to avoid suffering the same fate? I think it's also meet with founders in person. Again, if you're in the startup investing business, especially the early stage, you need to be able to have, I think, some edge of investing in people. You need to be able to say, hey, here's why I can judge the character of people better than all these other really smart professional venture capitalists that are doing it. So first be able to have that. And then if you have that, why not take advantage of the information you can learn by going in person? So this we made this investment like in the height of kind of COVID lockdowns. And I've always run my businesses distributed well before COVID. So I think when everyone's getting crazed about Zoom, I think Zoom is great. And I you mm. know interact with my team on Zoom. But I think if you want to get a read on someone to give them money, we now make sure that we meet with everyone first. So even yeah. if that means getting on a plane, doing something last minute, like me or one of my partners will do that because we think that just adds a lot to understanding the person. So that's kind of one action. Yep. One action besides great. just the process change of, you know, if you're not A plus founder, not even a consideration. Yeah. It's really that. And then just making sure we meet in person because I still never met this person in person. I think like if I met them in person, there would have been so many more kind of intuitive body signals to stay away that would have been, you know, I ignored a few of them, mm. but if I was in person, I probably wouldn't have ignored all of them even back then without my process changes now. Yeah, that's great. Great advice for everybody out there. And the guy that I'm meeting, I he was introduced to me, he's a founder of a company, he's introduced to me by a former student of mine. And she said, you guys should meet. And then I said, well, he's doing something related to coffee. My business is related to coffee. So why don't you meet me at our Coffee Works Experience Center here in Bangkok? So we had a coffee together. He did a presentation. We went through yeah. a lot of discussion. He asked for a lot of feedback because I kind of asked, like, what do you want? You know, obviously you want money. I understand that. But, you know, what do you want? He says, yeah, if you could give me some feedback, because I was recommended by a former student. And so basically I gave him a lot of feedback. So what did I observe? I observed him taking notes. And I thought, okay, that's good. And then I said, look, this is, you know, and I gave him about six specific feedback on what the way he was presenting and that type of stuff. And then I said, if you want to talk again, then fix this. And if you fix these things, and you feel like that was valuable feedback, then come and see me next week. And this time come to my house and we're going to have an espresso at my house 
And then we're going to look at what you've changed, what you haven't, and then we'll have a further discussion face-to-face. So that was our, we met by Zoom first, then we met face-to-face the first time, and then this will be the second time. And I think for everybody out there, when you're investing, you know, and it's it's a critical thing because people are getting phone calls a lot these days, like, hey, I've got an investment opportunity, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, look, I think from what we learned from you, meet face-to-face. So great advice. Let me ask you, what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, I've talked already a good amount about my travel business. So if you like to travel, especially if you're a flexible traveler and you fly business class and want to save some money, fly-flat.com slash worst. In terms of some kind of more deeper thinking things, I try to read as many books as possible. I've been, you know, news sober now for a number of years. Well, I don't follow the news. I don't read the news. I use that valuable time and energy to help people in my personal, smaller circle, build my businesses and read books. So I highly encourage you to do that, to give yourself the time and space to kind of read something that someone has edited meticulously for a while, rather than someone tweeting or writing just that day. In terms of kind of really good, we talked about, you know, the mental game of poker. Even if you're not a poker player, I think Jared Tendler's resources really apply well. And, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well as a yeah. link to the Fly Flat also for everybody that wants to click on that and get the $250 off, I think, what you said. Yeah, no, but, for sure. And I, I think a couple other supplemental mental game or, you know, not it's not a game for everyone. It's not a poker hmm. player on sports game, but for improving mental processes, two of the books have been most helpful for me. Probably not the first time this has been recommended, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Yep. Just one of the best books. It's really fucking dense. It's really hard to read. So don't read it with the goal of like, I failed if I don't read the whole thing. Just find a chapter that resonates with you with maybe a type of decision making you're having some issues with and spend the time to do that. And then, you know, there's a book called Elephant in the Brain, which maybe, I don't know if you've heard of this one, Andrew, but this one's great, which basically just shows, despite the fact that, you know, we are civilized and we're humans and we have all these things, we're fundamentally, we're still animals at heart. And so much of what society is and a lot of the waste and excess is us not being honest about ourselves, that we're status-seeking mammals and kind of looking at society of like, oh, actually, we're not trying to help people or do this noble thing. We're just couching that in us trying to beat our chest bigger for the other women in the tribe, basically. So elephant in the brain in terms of finding those mental blocks, thinking fast, thinking slow. And then if you want to learn more about why we think at Unbounded Capital that scalable and efficient blockchains will transform the internet and the way data and payments operate in the world, our first book, How a Scalable Blockchain Will Win, is on our website, unboundedcapital.com. I'll get you a direct link yep. for the show notes. And in that book, we take 10 of the most core assumptions that most people think about crypto and blockchain. And we put those assumptions side by side with our more contrarian takes at Unbounded Capital. So each chapter kind of goes through one of these main theses and takes the consensus approach and puts it by our approach and the reader can decide you know, what they like. So I know that's a lot, but I hope whoever's listening to this finds value in something I've shared today and perhaps one of the you know books or resources I recommended. Mm, fantastic. How a scalable blockchain will win. I love the idea of kind of putting things up side by side because it helps us to kind of think about where things are at. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. I mean, I'm as you're speaking, I'm kind of quickly going through and looking at these things. Yeah. I think Thinking Fast and Slow was was, you know, an amazing, definitely an amazing book. So I highly recommend that. I'll get the elephant in the brain one in the links. And of course, we got everything else in the links. So a lot of value there. My last question for you is what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
That's a great question. My number one goal personally for the next 12 months is to have more spaciousness in my life so I could spend more quality time with my amazing partner. So I've been really focused on, you know, building my my businesses and often burning myself out. And I think, you know, still working a little smarter and maybe a little less hard will serve me personally, both professionally and personally. So I'm I'm really working hard. Not really working. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Trying to work mm-hmm. smarter on working smarter and not working harder. So fascinating. Here we have Zach, who's news sober for a while. How many years? Well, I thought I was truly news sober for a number of years, but I was still using Twitter for mm. professional reasons. And then I, I, to be honest, I really only fully cut out Twitter at the end of last year. So I'd say I'm like been a hundred percent news sober now for I guess like four months. But you were I've sneaking been, a hit. On Twitter, yeah, I've been I've been largely new sober for about you know six years now. Yeah, the reason why I I never heard of that saying, but I, I'm alcohol and drug sober for forty years. But I'm I'm new sober originally as a financial analyst in the stock market in Thailand. We read the newspaper every single morning, and yeah, I, you know, and it used to arrive at my in the old days. It would arrive at my home at five a.m. and I would devour it before I went to the office. And then we would talk about what's in the news. But when one day I walked into the office and I realized that. Hey, everybody's sitting here reading the same newspaper. And I thought to myself, if everybody's doing the same thing, then if I did something different, maybe that would be interesting or unique. And that's when I I called up the newspaper companies and I said, stop sending me the newspaper. I had two of them coming every day. I stopped my news. And at that time, back in that those days, we didn't have the internet delivering us 24-7 news all the time. So I was pretty news sober, but I noticed I'm taking some you know hits on the side these days on Twitter. So I have to think about that. And for all the listeners out there, the sooner you can get news out of your life, the better, particularly now because news is not really news anymore. It's just yeah. corporate promos. And there aren't hard-hitting, you know, investigative journalists out there. And basically, they lock you up if you really, really go after the most powerful people and the most powerful governments. So it's a brutal situation. And the result is, is that you just get a lot of corporate news trying to form yeah. your mind on something. And that doesn't help in the case of investing. If you are trying to join the bandwagon, well, there's a lot of fumes and exhaust in the back of the bandwagon. So get in front. Well, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Zach, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of AE Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thank you for having me today, Andrew. And I've learned a lot today. So if you're listening, continue listening to this this wonderful podcast. And if you end up checking out any of my resources, uh, I would appreciate any thoughts and comments you have. You can email me directly at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at fly-flat.com. I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well. Fellow risk takers, let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.